Let's turn for a little again to the chapter we read in Isaiah, and chapter 55. I'll just read, read from the beginning, but it's verse 2 uh, I'm going to look at in particular, but we will look at some of verse 1. Come, I wrote that, sometimes it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And says, listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Now, as we often said it before, and it's what we all know, that Isaiah is, uh, has often been termed the gospel prophet, and uh, rightly so. Uh, his prophecies regarding the Lord Jesus Christ are quite remarkable. At one level, at one level, we shouldn't be surprised at that because it is the Lord God who has revealed this to the to the prophet, and his writings have been through this inspiration. And of course, the, that is simply foretelling what is to be, what is to happen. But you'd almost think that I say I was an eyewitness. Uh, of the life of Christ, and particularly when you come to read the likes of Isaiah 53, it's just quite remarkable how, and again we shouldn't be surprised, but just remarkable how accurate the prophecies are regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason that Isaiah is looked on as a gospel prophet is, is the scope of the invitations that come from his pen. Because as we know in the, in the Old Testament, largely, uh, God was dealing with his people, the Jews. And so much seemed to home and to focus in on them primarily. But when you come to Isaiah's writings, not the only one, but there is so much of Isaiah's writings that go far, far further than Israel or Judah or Jerusalem. But that they encompass the whole world talks of the isles, it talks to the furthest ways of this world, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. So Isaiah has, as it were, like he's reached right out, all the, 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 the barriers or all the boundaries that were there before are gone. And Isaiah, is, his writing is reaching out into the whole world. A taste, of course, of what is to come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, way back, we go back to Genesis. Uh, The Lord had promised Abraham that through Abraham and his seed that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And, of course, it took a long time for this to be fulfilled. But there were always the, the, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Jews, they were always very... Uh, sort of the insular in their in the in their way of thinking and they they couldn't see how the how the privilege of having the living and true god all the blessings of that were going to go to the whole world that was a great problem in the new testament that was a great problem that that some of the early church wrestled with when the likes of the apostle paul the great missionary to the gentiles a lot of the jews struggled with this concept of the gospel going going way out. But right throughout the Old Testament, God was would 
very often with an individual, the likes of Ruth the Moabites, because Moab, Moab was a country that, that Israel weren't really to have dealings with. And yet Moab, and here uh, the Lord was plucking her. And we, we find instances of this all throughout, that the Lord is reaching beyond the scope of Israel to take people in. But of course this was all going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Isaiah is termed the gospel prophet, because of his writings are so far-reaching. And there is like this universal call in the gospel, come everyone who thirsts. This this is not just to Jew, but to Gentile. It's to everyone, everywhere. Uh, We have this great uh, call of the gospel. But another thing that you will see in in, uh, Isaiah's writings is, and Hebrew scholars will tell us it's 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 the most beautiful writing that is found in Hebrew literature, is Isaiah's. Uh, it is believed that he was of royal uh, royal blood. He was a, he was a prophet to the kings, but it, it is believed that he himself was of royal blood, and uh, maybe he had a great education, because uh, there is even even in, in in our own languages there's a beauty about the language in in, in uh, Isaiah. But uh, Hebrew scholars will tell us that there isn't literature anywhere in in the Hebrew language to equal the actual language that is found. In, in Isaiah's writings. Uh, but there's also a passion in his writings. And you, you, can, you, can, he, you can almost hear that if, he was, if Isaiah was speaking rather than writing, where he says, and there's almost this arrest at the beginning, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy, and he'd come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You can sense this, Passion, the sense of urgency uh, in what, that there's somebody who really believes the message that he has. And that is always how the gospel should be presented. We should never seek to present the gospel in a kind of a lethargic way or a kind of a kumukuyu way, but it, there should always be this sense of this, this is the most important thing for your life. There is nothing greater. You cannot have anyone greater for your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message that everyone should hear. It's a message that everybody should stop and, and, and think about. And in fact, there's almost uh, a, a kind of a stop, look and listen about this very message. Where there's a, almost a shout to people like, stop, stop for a moment. And that's the way that that Isaiah begins it. It's arresting. The way he shouts out, stop. Oh, it's like, hold on a minute. Listen to this. Stop. That's so important in the world that we're living in today because we're we're rushing. Everybody is rushing. Nobody has time. But the thing is, we're all rushing to eternity. And one day it's going to be all over. And you know, every so often you stop and you think, just got, you've got to slow down. Now I know that we're living in an age that the very spirit of the age has created demands that cause us to rush. And it's as it says in the book of Daniel when we come to the end times that knowledge will be increased and everyone will run to and fro. And that's exactly where we are today. Everybody's running. Everybody's in a hurry. There's just so much in your, in your day. And time is moving so fast. You'll even hear kids talking about it today. The speed of time. 
When we were young, a summer holiday seemed to last forever. But now you'll hear even children talk about how quickly it's flying by. And it's something about the, just the, 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 the speed of the age that we're living in. But it doesn't matter the speed of the age. There's still a call to stop. Hey, just stop, reflect, think. Where are you going? Where am I going? You know, it's important for us to stop and to face up. People today don't want to sometimes think about that. But we need to. Where am I going? Well, we know we're not going to be living here forever. And there's a great eternity coming. And so we have to, we have to stop. And again, that's the, we have to look. Because Isaiah, that seems to be what he's saying. He says, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. And it's very important that we take our eyes heavenward. And that is the importance of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That here is a person. And the only suitable passion for this mad world that we're living in. A world that we often feel is going out of control. A lot of people today are filled with fears and anxieties because they feel they're losing control of the world. And they don't know what's going to happen. Well, none of us are in control of the world. You know, we, we all like to be in control of our lives. That's a, a basic thing. And in a sense... That is one of the, the biggest struggles that people have in becoming Christians is because they have to hand control of their life over to the Lord. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to hold on. It's my life. I want to be in control. But that's why there's part, there's so many people today, they feel that this world is out of control. Well, it might be to them, but it's not out of the control of the Lord. And how thankful we are that he is, he is in supreme control of everything. Every single thing. And we, we, there, are, there are many people will tell us there's various theories and all sorts of things about climate change and about what's going to happen and the disasters that are ahead. But the Lord is in control of everything. And the one thing he has told us, there's going to come a time when this world, you know, people are going to say the, wor- something, the world is going to end. The world is going to, it can't. And the Lord says, yes, you're right. Because the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. This world as we know it is going to be burnt up. Uh, there's all that, that is ahead. But it's, it gives such a comfort to know that the Lord is in control of everything. It's his world. He made it and he has a time when he will bring this world as we know it to an end. So we're to stop and we're to look and we're to listen. To listen to this word. To this great invitation as we said, look unto me. All the ends of the earth. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Now one of the beautiful things also that the the first verse here opens out before us is the freeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's without money and it's without price. And the the gospel is God's great gift to the undeserving. And we have to ask ourselves in here, this is a question you ask yourself, do I deserve to be saved? Well, the question, the answer to that is no. There isn't one person anywhere in this world that is deserving of the salvation that God gifts. God's salvation is a gift to the undeserving. That's what grace is, undeserved 
unmerited favor where God gives us what we don't deserve. Because God would have been completely right in himself to have allowed this world just to go the way it went in the fall and to have left it all alone. But the wonderful thing is that <coughs> he had made plan, he had made he had purposed and planned even before the foundation of this world of what was going to happen and what he was going to do. And of course there's the great this is where the whole work of salvation comes in. But the point is that none of us deserve this salvation. And the other thing is none of us have the ability to save ourselves. You see, our sin disqualifies us from any ability to save ourselves or to save anybody whom we love. We can't. But this is the great message of the gospel. This is a wonder of God's grace. Is that he sent his only begotten son into this world in our place to do the things for us that we can't do ourselves. One of the things Jesus did was every single moment of his life here. He gave perfect obedience to God. He fulfilled the command of God every day and every night. As our representative. And then he went to the cross where he laid down his life. As a sacrifice. As our substitute for our sin. So that God on Christ. He placed all our sin. This is the amazing thing. It's where the the slate was wiped clean. Where God's wrath was turned away. Because we're all under the wrath of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all. But that's one of the things that Jesus did. On the cross by taking God's wrath on himself. He turned God's wrath away from us. So that's what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's wrath has been removed. Our sins have been uh, cancelled out. They've been wiped clean. And that's the beauty of it. It's free. All the doing has been done. We don't have to do anything. We're not required to do something incredible. Imagine if we were told, you know, you know what you've got to do? You've got to pay the church a million pounds in your lifetime in order to be saved. You're saying to yourself, that's beyond me. You'd be having to dig out huge loans. Or that you have to, every single person has to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it doesn't matter how disabled you are. It doesn't matter what problems you have. Unless you make your way to Jerusalem, you won't find salvation. That's not what we're asked. We're not told that we've got to climb the highest mountain in the world and go to the top of Everest or row across the Atlantic or do something like that. No. This is a salvation where all the doing has been done. Jesus did everything. And all he asks us is to receive, to accept, to believe. And that's a problem that so many people have. They seem to think that they have to do something. Well, all they have to do is believe, to accept, and say, Lord, Lord, grant me the grace. If I haven't already done so, grant me the grace to to accept you as my Lord, to rest my life upon you, upon the finished work of Jesus. And by doing so, you can't be in a better or safer place anywhere. And so, 
Having said that, verse 2 then is following on from that and is highlighting uh, at the start the folly of spending like all our money, all our resources. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Now, just to make clear what the Lord is not saying here is, he's not saying that if you're not satisfied in your work, then you're wrong. There are loads of people, and they're doing a job, and they have to be honest and say that there is no real job satisfaction in it. Lots of people will say, Do you know, I, this is what I've done, but I don't re- really like it. I, my, my uncle, when he came home from sea, he, he was a weaver all his life, and he hated it. Because when, when he retired, I said, did you enjoy weaving? He said, I hated every day of it. But it's what he did. And there's probably a lot of people who... Now, that's not what this verse is saying, that you have to be really, really satisfied uh, in, 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 in what you're doing. That's, that's not the indication. And uh, Again, it's not ruling out the, the, and your labor for that. which the, And it's not, it's not a sort of thing against work. If, if at all we're able to work, we should work. In fact, work is one of the blessings God has given Remember in Psalm 128 it says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways, for he shall eat the labor of his hands. Happy shall he be, and it shall be well with him. It's a great blessing that. And I tend to think of that even nationally. That if we were nationally walking in the ways of the Lord, then I believe that that the, the whole employment thing would be different. Because it's... A, we're living in difficult times. So that's what it's not saying that we shouldn't be working or that we have to be satisfied in, our, in the work that we're doing. What it's really talking about here is that we're spending all our resources and spending everything in our life on that which is not ultimately going to last. Now that doesn't mean also that we are never to buy anything in this life but that which is absolutely essential. In other words, we are never to buy a luxury in life. Never. That's not, that's not what it's talking about here. But it's talking about don't give your life. Don't put all your resources and all your energies and all the things into things which are just going to pass with the using. Because there is something much more important. As the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. The primary purpose is of seeking the Lord. And so the Lord is saying, listen diligently to me and eat that which is good and delight your soul in rich food. Now, of course, at one level, this is definitely speaking to those who are still outside the kingdom and those who need to come into the kingdom and receive Jesus Christ and discover just the glory and the wonder of what it is to be a Christian. But it also speaks to the Lord's people. Because it's all too easy to be sidetracked. And uh, to be taken up with other things. And to lose our focus. And we need to be reminded over and over and over again. How important it is to have the Lord as our focus. One of the essentials in teaching. uh, Any teacher will tell you that it's not... That you don't, that you aren't every moment teaching some new fact. A lot of teaching is reinforcing things that have already been taught. 
Sometimes you do it at a, coming from another direction. But what you're trying to do is instill into the pupils uh, uh, facts and these things. And so a lot of teaching involves having to reinforce these truths, these facts. And so it is under the, under the word of God. God is coming to us so often and says, I know you've heard this before. In fact, you've heard it often before. And there have been times that you've faced up to it. And there's been times that you have even asked for my grace to, to help you to walk in this way. But then you forget it again. You're way back. And you know, this is where the Lord's patience is incredible. Do you ever stop and think of how patient the Lord is with you? Lessons that you've learned over and over and over and over again. But you still need to learn them. Because you're back and you say, Oh Lord, I can't believe what I'm like. And yet, his patience with us is quite extraordinary. And so that's why we need to be hearing this again and again. And so we're given this invitation where we see the, the richness and the generosity of the Lord. Because he's giving us all this for free. You know, there are many people who are incredibly rich. Now, I know that they were living in some of these absolute mega-billionaires. They, they, they're becoming great philanthropists and they're, they're giving huge, vast uh, amount of their money away, which is, which is laudable, which is wonderful, uh, helping uh, sort of many of the, the, the needs of this world. And that, that's very, very, very good. But there are some, some people who are very rich and they, they have made becoming rich the goal and they won't part with anything. Some of, the, some of the richest people are the most miserable because they're just hoarding everything up. Well, the Lord has riches that are beyond anything, but he's absolutely generous. He gives and gives and he gives. And he gives liberally and he gives freely. And he loves to give and he wants to give us of the finest of the food. Now again, in a natural world, we, we often will eat things which we know are good for us, even if we don't particularly like the taste of them. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you, the children are there and you have food in front of them and they say, okay, you say to them, eat that. And they, you can see they don't want to eat it, it's good for you. You'll often say that, that's, that's nourishing, that's, that's food that will make you grow, it's strong. Because sometimes kids just want to eat rubbish and you've got to say to them, no, you've got to eat good food. And so it is through spiritually. We need good food. Because the Lord wants us to be eating that which will uh, develop us and strengthen us and enable us to, to grow. And so the Lord wants us to, to take the food that he provides. Very interesting how often in the Bible we find the references to eating and to drinking at a spiritual level. In fact, even the greatest thing that we are given to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, involves eating and drinking, the Lord's Supper. The Lord has given us this. And he says, take this bread. As often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You remember the Lord's death until he comes. So it is by a way of eating something and of drinking something that the Lord wants us above all to remember. 
And this is why we, we call this communion, because there's a wonderful bonding. You see, that's one of the things about eating. That's one of the, I suppose, it's one of the successes of restaurants and hotels, is people go out to eat. Now, when a person goes out to eat, they expect to get a good meal. But most people don't go out to eat alone. They go out to eat with others, to enjoy company and fellowship at the same time. And that is, that is the very heart of, like the communion, is that the Lord wants us to gather round his table and to eat what he has remind, to eat what he wants us to be reminded of his body and to take of what he wants us to remember him by the, the blood, the wine. But it's communion, yes, with him. That's our, our number one focus is with him. But it's also with one another. That's why we share. We share the plate. We pass the plate of bread. And that's why we have a, what we term the common cup. Now I know some congregations have individual glass. I don't like that. Because I, there, there is the, the actual cup where we, where we take the drink and we pass it to the person beside us. There's, this is part of the communion. And I think that's how it, how it should be. And so this is speaking to us of, of our bonding together. There's a, you know, there's a, at the table, it brings a, a bond, a love for one another in Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus meant when, he's, when he gave us this communion. So that, but not only has the Lord prepared a, 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 the, the, his own table, the Lord's table, but also the gospel table. And he has prepared this beautiful Meal, And that's what we do when we preach the gospel. We're inviting people to come and to eat of Jesus. To taste and to see that God is good. And you know, it's the greatest insult to the Lord. is when we reject that. When you think of all the people who are invited by the Lord to taste and to see. Can you imagine if somebody prepared this? absolutely beautiful meal with the, the, the finest delicacies food that is rich in quality and in taste and in texture and it's this massive meal and invites and everybody just now not interested don't even acknowledge well you know that's what people are doing with the Lord because the Lord has prepared this meal. That's remember in, in, in Luke chapter 14 with the, the great invitation to come. The, 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 the great feast had been made. And one after another began to make excuses. And so many people are making excuses for not eating and tasting and seeing that God is good. What an insult. What an offense to the Almighty God. But if you have tasted and you have seen, then you have entered into the most the wonderful place. So as we know, food, food is something that is given to us uh, to, to strengthen. And so it is spiritually. There's nothing that lifts our flagging spirits like the Word of God. Have you not come sometimes? Sometimes you might come. It might be midweek or come to God's house. And you're at a period where you're really, really tired. Your body is tired. Your mind is tired. Your soul is tired. Everything is tired. And you feel down. And you feel, it's not just in your soul and your mind, but your body. 
You feel exhausted. You know you come under the word. And God brings that word to bear. Upon your soul. In such a way. That you're strengthened. So that when you go out. It's not just that your mind is uplifted. But your very body. It's like it says in Isaiah. That those that wait upon the Lord. They shall renew their strength. And there they were. They were, they were out of strength. But their strength is renewed. And they mount up with wings like eagles. They run and they're not weary. They walk and they're not faint. You've been there. You've experienced that. Where you have gone, you come in under the word. And the word has changed you. It has brought vitality and light and life and energy into your being. And this is, this is, part, of the, this is part of the beauty of God's word. This is where he is nourishing us and strengthening us for, for the journey that, that, that is ahead of us. And again, we need this word to feed upon his word as we fight temptation and as we fight all the lusts within our own heart and within our own flesh. And we have to use the word. The Bible tells us that we need the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Remember how it says that we are to, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. And let me tell you, you and I have not one hope against the devil unless we have on that armor and we are equipped with that sword. He's far too strong for you and for me. And the biggest mistake we can make is thinking we can beat him in our own strength. He loves, Satan loves to, when he sees us saying, oh, I won't give in. Yes, we will. Unless we're armed and unless we have the word. And it's with the word that we repel him. Remember how Jesus Every time it is written when Jesus was tempted, it is written, it is written, it is written in the end Satan went. And you go from you too. But we need the word. We can't do it without. We also need his word in order to serve aright. You know, some people say, I've heard people who are very, very busy and very active in the church, which is great. But sometimes they'll say, you know, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. I'm too busy really to read and, and to spend time. I've just got so much to do for the Lord. They've got it the wrong way around. The most effective work that you can do is when you're soaked in the Word. When you come from the presence of the Lord. What made Elijah such a, an incredible servant of the Lord? We find him that he came from, we would, would read that he came from the presence of the Lord. That he stood in the presence of the Lord. That's how he was so mightily used. And so we need, we need the word in order that we will serve right. We need the word in order that we will praise God aright. You know, some people think that you just, to praise God, is you, you, you just sing and make as big a noise as you can. And that the louder the noise, the volume, the more we're praising. Well, we were talking recently, isn't it, in Psalm 65, that silence, that, that praise can be silent. But in order to praise God right, we need the word. We base our praise of God upon what we understand of him in his word. He shows us through his word who he is. And it's as we drink this in, then we're able to praise him in a, in a right way. 
And so this word of his is at the very heart of our fellowship. And that's why the Lord is saying to us, listen diligently to me. That's really listen carefully. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. That's taste and see that God is good. That's it. There's nothing greater, nothing more important for us, but to taste and to see that God is good. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we, we give thanks for all for this word. And we can be so familiar with it and let it and let it allow it to pass us by. Lord, may this word of yours go down deep into our hearts. May it transform our lives, we pray. O Lord, be merciful and gracious to us. Fill us with yourself and do us good. Take us all to our home safely, we pray. Part us with your blessing, forgiving us our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll conclude singing these words from Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And Kerr Salam Harish Erin 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 Sorry, Psalm Kerr Salam Harish Erin Nichit. Psalm thirty-four. It's a leave of Genoch Gavran. O blasher agus fechgiv sho. Good mice, good milish jia. Fjarsens pianich jagu biak. Yarapas asentria. Fear ekel j bigarav in eve. Aurus vita ji. Javier Luch Gekelsen, Fier Kravig Ga in Ye. And now on Hanshin Psalm 34, O Blashev, Agus Fenkiv Shoh.
Gras er tjur nyse kristers van er grag sjeri ena skumon holde sig en spirit nei vi skal malle velusjon makkes kupra amen <tryk>